All right, let's turn to John 15. All right, uh, this is a picture of Jerusalem. And uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Jerusalem. How many of you have ever been there? Ah, good. We, have to, we all have to go someday. Okay, we'll organize a trip and go. And uh, this, the, the brown lines here give us something of the topography of, of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. Uh, this area in here is David's city. And here is the Kidron Valley. It runs between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount here. And the Valley of Hinnom on this side. This was the garbage dump in Jerusalem. There's a, a gate right about here called the Dung Gate where they took all the refuse and the uh, garbage from the city and dumped it down into the Valley of Hinnom. And very early in the history of the nation, it uh, caught on fire and burned. And that be it became a symbol for hell that both Jesus and the apostles used. They refer to uh, hell as, you remember what their term is for hell? Gehenna. Gehenna. Gay is the Aramaic word for valley. The Valley of Hinnom. And uh, with its, you know, the smoke and the, the ruin and the rubbish there, it was a very fitting picture of, of hell as a, a kind of a cosmic garbage dump, a place of wasted lives. And uh, this was this area here, this deep valley that extends on down in this direction, and then the Kidron Valley here. This area here is the upper city. This is, there's a hill here, a hill here, and a hill here. This is Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount. And this later uh, is called Zion, although it was misnamed. And this was a city, this was the part of the city where the wealthy folks in Jerusalem lived. And there was a, a large house there. And most people are agreed that somewhere in this area is where the upper room, the building where the upper room took place, is located. Probably right about here, just outside of Herod's palace. They have it, um, they have it uh, traditionally located here now, and that seems to make a great deal of sense. And it's in this place that, that the first two chapters, chapters 13 and 14 of the Upper Room Discourse, occur. And then, as, as Steve read for us last week in verse uh, 31 of chapter 14, Jesus said to the disciples, Arise, let us go from here. So they got up from, uh, from dinner, and they left the house, and they traveled by a, a series of steps down to the lower city, the Tyropean Valley here, around the corner of David's city, up the Kidron Valley, up here to the Mount of Olives. Now we know that, that at the time Jesus lived, this whole area was covered with, uh, uh, with a vineyard. And the Mount of Offense, which is a letter, later name given to this area, all the way up to the Mount of Olives. These were all vineyards. And so as Jesus walked through these vineyards, it suggested to him the analogy that, uh, that you have in John 15. The Lord was so good. He's such an excellent teacher. Uh, he, he took things right out of nature and commented on them. As he would walk through the streets of, of Jerusalem and out through the countryside, he used, he used common, ordinary things in order to teach principles to the disciples. This is what he's doing. As he goes up uh, the valley toward the Mount of Olives, he sees a vineyard, and the vine and the branches uh, uh, suggest to him the analogy that you have in John 15. All right, let's read it. This is the first 11 verses of John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 15 is one of the key uh, chapters in the entire New Testament because uh, what, Paul, what Jesus is doing is, is giving us the, the order of things between the first and second comings. We've already, already commented on the fact that Jesus' purpose in the upper room was to teach the disciples how to, how to live after his departure, after the incarnation came to an end, at least the earthly aspect of the incarnation. Uh, Jesus is leaving. And he leaves behind a legacy. He tells them how to live after he departs. And as a matter of fact, he tells all of us how to live until he comes again. That's the purpose of this upper room discourse. In chapter 15, uh, significantly enough, is right in the center of the discourse, but it's also the center of his, of his argument. Because what he does in this chapter is take the three areas of life that we're most concerned about, and he tells us how to, what our responsibility is in terms of each of those areas. Now, now think back over the 11 verses I just read. What relationship is the Lord stressing there? What aspect of life? Our relationship to what or to whom? All right, to him. Our relationship to the Lord. And what's the key word there? It occurs a number of times. Good, Lisa. Abide. Abide in me. All right? So that's the first relationship, our relationship to the Lord. That's always the first priority, and our responsibility is to abide in Christ. Now, look at uh, 12 and following. This Steve is going to teach on next week, so I don't want to uh, preempt his study. But just so you get an idea of where Jesus is going, 12 through 17, what relationship is he describing there? Our responsibility to whom? Right, brothers and sisters in Christ, the family, the body. And what's the key word there? Love them. Love the family. Okay, abide in Christ. Love the brothers, 18 through 27. What what is the what aspect of our life does he touch on there? The world, okay. And and what is our responsibility to the world? The world will hate you. That's their reaction to you. What's your reaction to them? Somebody said it. I heard a whisper back there. Uh, yes, love them. But what else? Witness to them. Right. They will hate you. You are to witness to them. So what Jesus does is gather up the three most crucial realms of life, our relationship to the Lord, to the church, and to the world, and he tells us how to behave in each. We're to abide in Christ, we're to love one another, and we're to witness to the world. Okay? So that's a neat little summary of our responsibility between the first and second comings of, of our Lord. Now, let's look at the first uh, 11 verses. First, let's identify some of the elements. All right? He's drawing us a picture. And I wish I could have had a nice picture of a vine here to show you. But you can picture one in your mind. Now, what are the elements in the picture? What are the ingredients? Okay, there's a vine. What else? There's a vine dresser. Fruit. What else? Branches. Okay, four elements. Who is the vine? 
Jesus. Why does he describe himself as the true vine? True in contrast to what? Yeah, false, but <laughs> very good. <laughs> Great insight. But uh, what was the false vine? Or who was the false vine? Not Satan, no. Well, not the Pharisees, although they represented a portion of the false vine. Not the world. The Jews. Israel. Exactly. Israel. Israel was a vine that God planted to produce fruit for God. The Old Testament says that over and over again. Psalm 80, Hosea 10, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah says the same thing. Israel is a, is a vine that God planted and expected uh, to produce fruit. Uh, turn back to Isaiah 5 if you brought an Old Testament tonight. And Isaiah sings a song for us. This is the song of the vineyard. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. The well-beloved here is Messiah. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the middle of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, but he expected it to produce good grapes. He expected a bumper crop after all this care. He planted it in a fertile field, and he fertilized it and he dug around it and he took all the stones out of it and he built a fence around it to keep foxes and other marauders from destroying the crop and he waited for it to produce fruit but what did it produce worthless grapes the hebrew says bitter little grapes they're absolutely worthless and now o inhabitants of jerusalem and men of judah judge between me and my vineyard what more was there to do for my vineyard that i have not done in it why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless grapes, and so forth. And then he tells us in verse 7, he gives us the key to understanding the, the parable. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of the Lord, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. You see, that the good grapes that they should have produced uh, were justice, righteousness, mercy, temperance, love. But look what they produced, bloodshed and a cry of distress, you see? And he goes on in the next, in the rest of the chapter describing what those worthless grapes were. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there's no more room so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. And they're greedy and they're land grabbers and they were acquisitive and they were just making a lot of money for themselves and, and they didn't care about the poor. In Israel, uh, land was given to you by right of inheritance and no one could take it from you. But these people through injustice were grabbing off pieces of, of land. In verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong uh, drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them, and so forth. And in verse 18, Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of, of falsehood. Verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 21, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and so forth. These were the worst, worthless fruits, grapes, that they produced. Nothing worthwhile, okay? So Israel is the vine, the false vine, and Jesus is the true vine. Okay, he came to to be what God intended Israel to be. Right, who's the vine dresser? Huh? The Father. All right, the Father is the wine dresser. Vine dresser. He takes care of the vine. Who are the branches? Who? We are. That's right. Jesus said to the disciples, "You are the branches." So it's the disciples first, 
and all those who have believed the message of, of the apostles. It's us, okay? So we're the branches. What is the fruit? Now think for a minute. Don't, don't give a quick answer without thinking this all the way through. Now, how would they think, knowing the Old Testament? Pardon? Yeah, but specifically, what kind of works? Yeah, obedience to the law. And if they were thinking of Isaiah 5, they would think of the negative, the positive side of all the things that, they, that Isaiah condemned them for. Instead of being acquisitive and greedy, they would be giving and serving and loving and caring, you see. Instead of being drunken, they would be moderate and self-controlled and so forth. He's talking about character. It's what it, it, Paul uses the same figure when he says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, he's not. the reason I say that is that he's not here talking about the fruit of souls saved. That's not what he's talking about. We may use the term that way. And, of course, that is certainly God's intention for us to be reproducers. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about character. Christian character. Okay, so the vine is Jesus. The vine dresser is the Father. The branches are us. And fruit is the fruit of Christian character. Okay, everybody agree? Anybody disagree? Okay. Now, he begins by giving us the responsibility of the vine dresser. And then he gives us the response of the vine. What does the vine dresser do? What is his task? Pardon? Yeah, but I'm talking about Jesus' use of the symbol here. He does all sorts of things. If you think of what vine dressers actually do in nature, but what what things does Jesus emphasize? Yes. Well, uh, so they would get the maximum yield out of uh, the branches that are the, that are there. All right. Now, do you have a New American Standard? No. Okay. Someone, Lisa, do you have it? Yeah. What does your footnote say? There's a little one right there by prunes. No. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. There's a little one there, and it's side noted. He cleanses it. And I think that's the preferable translation. The word can mean prunes, or prune or purge or purify, but cleanse makes more sense. Why? Well, look at the next verse. He uses exactly the same word. Now you are clean through the word which I have, uh, which I have given you. Now, what does he mean? Every branch in me that bears fruit, he cleanses, he purifies. And how does he do it? First, how does he do it? What's the agent of cleansing? The word. The word of God cleanses us. Well, what is he? What is he thinking of? You know how they did this in ancient times? They didn't have insecticides the way we do. Uh, they actually washed the leaves down. They took a cloth and water, and they went through the fields, and they washed off each leaf. I pulled this one off because it's particularly cruddy, and there are little bugs running around on the back, and it's dirty on the front. It came out of my backyard, and uh, that's the way most of my plants are. And uh, if I were a good vine dresser in those days, I would take a cloth, and I would wash it off with soap and water. They had soap back in those days. And cleanse it. And that would uh, that would purify the leaf so that it could produce more fruit. That's actually what they did. They went down the rows of leaves and they washed them off. And that's what Jesus is talking about. 
A good vine dresser washes the, the vine off and the branches. You get all the bugs and the vermin and, and mildew and rot off of it, so it, it's a productive vine. And how does God do that to us? Through the Word. So you better read the Word, huh? If that's the cleansing agent, we need to use it. It seems sort of, uh, well, we just uh, miss God's plan when we don't spend time reading the Word and letting the Word cleanse us. You know, I, I found that what happens is that uh, God has some things he wants to say to me. And as I read the word, God begins to say them. And if I don't listen to him, if I don't take him seriously and begin to appropriate his power to obey, then my whole life just begins to break down in other areas. Uh, all of us have had the experience of having some habit or some sin that we that really just bothers us, and we'd like to get rid of it, and we're working at it, and nothing seems to be happening. And uh, God is saying to us, listen, you know, I really don't care about that. That's That doesn't matter to me. The real problem is over here. And for a long time, you've been resisting me over here. You know, you're nasty to your parents, or you're nasty to your children, or whatever. You know, and that's what you need to, to judge to let the Word sit in judgment on that area of your life and let it cleanse you, and then you'll be fruitful over here. So we really need to listen up and pay attention and give heed to the Word. And, of course, you can't give heed to it if you aren't reading it. And as I've said before, there's no magic in reading the Bible. It's not an hour of, of Bible reading a day that keeps the devil away. Uh, you know. But, but this is a book that God, from which God speaks to us. And as he speaks to us and we commit our will to obey, then we have the power of the Spirit of Christ who indwells us to do what God called us to do. And that's when life begins to get exciting. That's when we begin to be, become fruitful in all areas of life. Okay? All right, now that's one thing the, the vine dresser does. He cleanses us. What else does he do? Verse 2. Now that's interesting. He takes it away. What does he take away? The branches. And what are the branches? Us. Now, I have heard this passage interpreted to say that what God does is sort of prune out the dead wood so that we can be more fruitful, but that's really not what he's saying at all. Because, you see, it's the vine. The vine is Jesus, and, and the branches are the individual believers, and he's going through lopping off branches, if, that's, if this passage is correct. So he's cutting people off of the vine. And you say, aha, that's what I always suspected about God. <laughs> the minute I disobey, he's going to go around and break me off of the vine, throw me away, you see. But that didn't like God at all. Something's got to be wrong. Well, let, me, let me show you a couple of passages. Turn back to John 5. All right, now, just keep in the back of your mind verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I want to give you a Greek lesson. The word takeaway is the word iro. Can you remember that? Iro. Just like I row a boat. Okay, iro. John 5. <clears throat> Jesus goes to the feast of the Jews in Jerusalem. And he sees a man lying there who has been in that condition his entire life. Jesus says in verse 8, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. You see the word that's translated take up? Here, that's the Greek word, iro. Turn to John 8. Last verse of John 8. 58 says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they got angry. And they picked up stones to throw at him. 
But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The word, the verb picked up is the verb iro. You see what Jesus is saying in John 15? It's exactly the opposite of what our translations convey. What happens to us when we don't produce fruit? Does he cut us off? He picks us up from the ground. That's the basic meaning of the term, to lift something up from the ground. Jesus said to the man who was impotent, rise, lift up your bed from the ground and walk. The people who were going to stone Jesus lifted up stones from the ground. They didn't take them away. They picked them up from the ground. And that's the basic meaning of the term, to lift something up. And that's what, what the heavenly vine dresser does. When we fail to produce fruit, he doesn't go around stamping on the leaves and throwing a mad fit and ripping them off the vine. He lifts them up and ties them back on the, on the supports, you see. And I've seen people go through the vineyards and, and do that sort of thing and tie the loose tendrils that fall off and they're in the ground and, the, and the, they're unproductive. They lift them up and tie them on the, on the vine. And that's what God does to us. Isn't that comforting? He is so intent upon our being productive that he does anything to make fruit bearers out of us. That's his desire. Cleanses us with his word. And when we fail and we fall down and we don't produce fruit, he lifts us up from the ground. He encourages us, infuses life into us, picks us up, ministers to us, you see. That's the kind of vine dresser that we have. All right, any questions about verse 2? I left my watch back in my office. What time is it? Ten, ten till? Great day. Boy, I've got to quit. I've just got to. Let me, let me read verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And we've already seen that the word is the, is the agent for cleansing. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Now that then is the responsibility of the vine. You see, the Father is doing everything he can to be supportive and to make us productive. What's our responsibility? To abide in him. To let his life flow through us. To stop trusting what we've always trusted, our own strength and our own ability, and start trusting him. Start counting on him, as I said this morning. Uh, he goes on in verse um, 5 to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. You ever stick a, just a dead stick in the ground and say, all right, grow. <laughs> and water it, fertilize it. Give it lots of tender, loving care. Play music to it. And it'll never grow. It'll never produce fruit. And, and it's just as absurd for us to try to produce fruit apart from God as it is to stick a, a dead stick in the ground and, and expect it to produce. It will not produce. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, is that really true? Well, it is. If you understand what Jesus is saying, it really isn't true that we can do nothing apart from Christ. There are a lot of people that, that never give the Lord Jesus the time of day who do a lot of things. They make a lot of money. They drive cars very fast. Or they bowl 300 games. Or they bat 300 or whatever. There are all sorts of things you can do apart from Christ. Is that what Jesus is talking about? You can do nothing in terms of what? Fruit. Exactly. The only way to be godlike is to is to appropriate the life of God, to begin to draw on his power. And then in verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 
What is he talking about here? In verse 2, he was talking about a branch that was in him, that was an integral part of the vine. What is he describing here? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, and he withers, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. What sort of branch is he describing? Pardon? A dead one. Exactly. It looks good on the outside. You know, it extends out from the vine, and, and it has leaves, and it's green, but it's not an integral part of the vine. And after a time, you know that it's not a part of the vine because it begins to wither. And men come through the field and they strip those branches off and burn them because they were never a part of the vine. What is he saying? Well, he's saying that if we really belong to Jesus Christ, there will be some results in terms of fruit. If we can go through life and, and keep God at arm's length, and resist his claim on our life, and refuse to submit to his lordship, even if we call ourselves a Christian, then we don't belong to Jesus Christ. And sooner or later it'll show up. We'll dry up, we'll stop looking like a Christian, and, and no, there's no productivity, no fruit, nothing. He's talking about people like Judas. You see, Judas looked good. If you had observed Judas for the, for the three and a half years or two and a half years that he was with Jesus, he looked like everyone else in the band of apostles. But he was not an integral part of the Lord. Now what this says is, is that if we really belong to Jesus Christ, then there will be results. We'll be becoming more loving. We'll be becoming more and more like, like the Lord Jesus. And then he goes on in 7 to say, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Ask what? Is that license to ask for anything that, that we desire? Ask for what? For fruit. What do you need in terms of character? You have someone that, that you have to live with in your office or on your block or in your dorm. If you need patience, if you need love, if you need courtesy, whatever you need, Jesus says, ask, and you'll receive. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. In verse 6, those who don't abide prove that they're not his disciples by withering. But here, fruit-bearing is the proof that we really belong to him. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's saying that he's the, the special recipient of the Father's love because he was obedient. Uh, Steve told us last week that, uh, that God's love for us is not, com uh, not conditioned on our obedience. God loves us whether we obey or not. But our experience of the love of God, our realization that he really cares about us comes when we obey. There's just a sense of of, of God's uh, special favor in his love when we begin to respond in obedience. And he was abiding in the Father's love because he was obedient. And just as he kept the Father's commandments and, uh, and was abiding in his love, so we are to keep his commandments and we'll experience his love. These things, he says, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the answer to depression, discouragement, to that feeling of worth, worthlessness, 
and uh, lack of uh, lack of meaning and purpose in life. If you want to have joy, if you want to have the Lord's joy, then uh, then you need to lay hold of His life, begin to abide in Him, trust Him, rest in Him.